Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. So the reading today is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Let's um, stay and ask you to pray. Lord, we we pray so much that you'd come and be with us this evening as we come to your word. Please give us humble hearts and and listening ears and a sense of you speaking directly to us. Teach us and open our eyes to see wonderful things in the words that you've given us. Amen. Great. Well, um, do uh, keep that um, chapter there in uh, Colossians 3 open on your phones or uh, um, in your church Bibles. I'm going to be making some uh, reference to that. Um, it's on page uh, 1194 um, in the Church Bibles if you want to find it there. <laughs> well, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm looking forward to the, um, the Jubilee celebrations. Um, as we've been a- approaching, I've, I've, I've really appreciated being reminded of uh, various details about the Queen's life. And for me personally, anyway, one of the things that always stands out from her life is that fascinating combination of um, a sense of duty to, to do what she's uniquely called to do. And, you know, that she's just, it's kind of inevitable in the way she speaks about it. And the fact that actually up to the age of 10, it was never going to happen. Um, you, you may remember that it was actually her uncle, uh, Edward VIII, who was king. And it was only because he abdicated um, from the throne in 1936 that her father then uh, became king and then she came in line. Now, I don't know whether you're familiar with the story, but um, uh, Edward VIII had fallen in love with Wallace Simpson, who was an American socialite. 
Um, but Wallace had twice been married before, and at that time the Church of England did not allow for uh, the remarriage of divorcees while the other spouse was still living. And so Edward, as the, the king, was also going to be head of the same church that, that took that position. And so it was felt incompatible that he could both retain his status as king and marry Wallace. And so in the end, he, he decided to renounce the throne. And when he did so, he said this, at long last, I am able to say a few words of my own. You must believe me when I tell you that I have found it impossible to carry the heavy burden of responsibility and to discharge my duties as king as I would wish to do without the help and support of the woman I love. I found it impossible to carry the heavy burden of responsibility without the support of the woman I love. Now, let's just leave aside for a moment the discussion about whether he should have been faced with that particular choice or not and whatever else was going on politically and so forth. But just focus on this, this basic truth which is highlighted there. Who we think we are shapes how we act. Who we think we are shapes how we act. And more than that, because that's the case, sometimes life gets really complicated. So in Edward's case, he had to choose between two identities. Was he Wallace's lover or was he the nation's king? Which of those two things was more profoundly him, if you like? If he was Wallace's lover, he would marry her and then have to leave the throne behind. If he was the king, he'd stay on the throne. So he had to make, he had to work out once it is decide what his deepest identity was and then act according to that. Fast forward a little bit of time. Uh, perhaps you feel a bit, bit of a similar thing may have happened with um, Harry and Meghan. Um, in one interview, uh, Harry said of when he was stepping down as a senior royal, he said this, it was a really difficult environment as I think a lot of people saw. We all know what the British press can be like and it was destroying my mental health. I was like... This is toxic. This is interesting. He expresses himself a little bit different. To uh, I was like, this is toxic. So I did what any husband, what any father would do. I was like, I need to get my family out of here. Now, okay, he speaks a bit differently. But he's basically saying something quite similar. He's asking himself, look, am I a husband and a father or am I a royal? A husband and a father protects his family a royal spends their day, days in front of the press. Which one am I first? Which, which one is the deeper me? Because that's what's going to make this decision for me. It's who we believe we are, our deepest personal identity, that shapes how we act. Now, by the way, this is not about royals in general. It's just jubilee theme kind of things. It's meant to sound relevant. Uh, it is about all of us. What about you? When your circumstances put you under pressure, how do you end up answering that question, who am I? Because it's going to affect what you do. And sometimes it's, it's really difficult to work out, isn't it? Perhaps for you, you find yourself kind of answering that question, well, the, the, the deepest identity that I have is my, my family. So... I'm in a difficult situation and I think, well, what would an Adams do? I'm an Adams. What would an Adams do? 
perhaps your deepest identity is in the personality that you have cultivated for some time. I'm, I'm a really calm person. I'm a really calm, definitely a calm person. How does a calm person sort of work through this situation? I'm not sure that that's me, by the way. Um, perhaps it's your professional identity. I'm a medical professional. I'm a creative. How does a creative act in this situation? Yeah, I'm going I'm I'm to deal with this like a medical professional would. I just want to decide how I'm going to act. Perhaps your identity is bound up with the people you aspire to, the people you admire. So you're in this really difficult situation. You're thinking, what would Kim Kardashian do? What would Dwayne Johnson do? What would Klopp do? What would Mary Berry do? I think I've covered you all right now. <laughs> um, you get the idea, right? We act out of who we are. And so the question is, who are we? Or do you act out of who you are in Christ? Do you act out of what you know Jesus has made you to be? Because that's our consideration today. We, we come to the fourth, final sermon in this series on identity. And we've, we've been on a, on a three-week journey already thinking about identity. We've seen, first of all, we're created in, in the image of God. We're hugely precious, every single one of us. We've seen that because of our sin, all of us have a, an identity crisis if, we, if we're left to our own devices, we start behaving like people we're not. We start behaving like the little gods of our own little world. And then last week, we looked at how Christ promises everyone who comes to faith in him a new identity. He says, you're going to be united with me. You're going to be a child of God. And today, today I'm praying that for each of us this evening, we're going to step, take one step further with this. A new step towards living out our deepest identity. Another moment of becoming more who we already are in Christ. So, so that our lives are day and day more profoundly defined by who we actually are in Christ. Now we're going to spend a bit of time um, getting to grips with this chapter here in, in Colossians, Colossians 3. And, and then we're going to think of it just a, in a little bit broader terms. So uh, Colossians, uh, a letter to the, from the Apostle Paul to the, to the Christians in Colossae and perhaps Laodicea um, as well. Um, and uh, they were Greek cities. It seems people, they're very close to each other. It seems Paul was, was writing to these guys who they'd started okay in their Christian lives, but they were kind of going off course. They were getting into all sorts of peculiar ceremonies and rituals. They were speculating about visions of angels and, and so forth. And Paul wants to get them grounded again. And what he wants to say to them is, guys, it's time to reconnect with who you are in Jesus. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now, I don't know what you make of those verses. But it, 
You have a look down at them. It's kind of a bit of a strange thing to say, isn't it? Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Dot, 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 dot. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I mean, imagine if you were the guy who, or the girl who had to read out the letter to the church in Colossae. You have been raised with Christ. Everyone's looking at each other going, well, I mean, abundantly clearly, I haven't been raised with Christ. Because if I had, there wouldn't be much point sending me a letter right now, okay? Because I'm definitely here very much bodily. You've been hidden with Christ in God. I am definitely not hidden. I am plain sight. What are you talking about? Well, hopefully, if you were here last week, you have a bit of a sense of what Paul was talking about. He wanted to say to these early Christians, when you, when you trusted in Jesus, you became united with him. You mystically connected with him in a, in a way that you, you can't really fathom. And that means that even though bodily you weren't there on the cross and you weren't there in the empty tomb like in person, nor are you right now actually sitting up there at God's right hand as it were, because Christ has been on that journey, it's like you have as well. In that sense, you have already kind of been raised. You have already been seated at the right hand of God. That's how secure your future is. The, the deposit is down. The contract is signed. The money's in the pipeline. It's, it's as good as done. Now, follow the logic with what he says next. He says, because that's who you are, since then you were raised with Christ, act like it. Act like what you are. Or even, in fact, here in, in the first instance, start thinking like who you are. So he says, set your uh, set your hearts on things above. You know, I want you to have the kind of ambitions that your identity requires. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. In other words, he's saying, look, live out your new identity. Now, what does that look like? Well, he begins to spell it out in the, the following verses. So ha- have a look at verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. What does it mean to live out our new identity? Well, the first point to note is simply, it means changing your behavior. Living out your identity in Christ means not living like you did before. That's what he says to them. He says, where is it? Verse uh, seven, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Implication, don't do it anymore. Now, there's a lot more to living out our new identity than, uh, living out our new identity than just what's contained here, but it's, it's not a bad start. He talks about sexual immorality. Being a new creation in in Christ means we're called to sexual purity. Sex is a really sacred thing. And actually, I think in our culture, amazingly, when you think where we've been in the last 60 years, we're kind of re-realizing that sex is something sacred. Things like the Me Too movement, reminding us it's, it's not just about satisfying an appetite. It's something very precious that affects the very core of who we are. And that means it's got to have a place. Now, in our culture, the place that it has is a place of consent, Paul would say something slightly different. Consent, yeah, but commitment as well. In fact, marriage. 
So, says Paul, keep sex for marriage. But he's not just about what we do. He talks more about it. He says also, guard your hearts and your minds. He talks about uh, impurity, lust, evil desires. Watch out for what's going on in your mind as well. So that those desires don't take root in your heart. Now, why does he say this stuff? Well, I guess he says it because it needs saying, right? Because it's not easy. I don't think the Christians in Colossae were very different from us today. None of them had a clear record, I imagine. And none of us do either. And that's why they need to be said again today to us. And we're not to read this list of stuff and just hear it as condemnation. Just be like, oh man, it's just so hard. I, just, I feel awful. If you're in Christ, you're forgiven. It's all done. But equally, if you're in Christ, if we're in Christ, we're called to live out a new way of life. It's different. But of course, that's not the only thing he says. He goes on to talk about greed. It's another form of desire. You know, that desire to just amass stuff, possessions, money, influence, opportunity. That's also a battle we all have, isn't it? We, We struggle to let go of what we have. I know I do. And then he goes on to talk about what we say. He says, you must rid yourselves, verse 8, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. So telling the truth, speaking kindly, not indulging our temper, coarse joking, all that stuff is out, out of place in this new identity. And Hey, if you're anything like me, these are things we fall into all the time still. Everything here for me anyway is a challenge. And yes, we're going to have to keep saying sorry about going back there, repenting this side of heaven. But for the Christian, it is different. You know, perhaps there was a time when we did these things, once upon a time when we did them, and then we said to ourselves afterwards, well, you know, everyone tells a lie every now and again, and everyone flies off the handle from now, you know, time to time. Or people are always telling a rude joke at work, so what can you do? Or at least I don't get as livid as my boss, or whatever else we said to our, ourselves. If we once thought like that, that's not, that's not how it works anymore. It's not, we don't say, oh, it's, yeah, yeah, we'll wheel out the excuses. Because God calls us to live A new way. And by the way, we need each other here to encourage one another. Because it's hard, isn't it? I certainly find it that way. Now, why? Why why are we supposed to live this new way? Well, that brings us back to the basic argument. Paul comes back to it here at the end. He says, um, verse 9, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image, renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So he's saying, look, I'm, I'm done with the old me. Okay, the old me still comes knocking on the door. Please, can I come in? I want to come and ruin your life. Yeah, and every now and again, he gets a foot in the door, comes in and really messes it up. But that's not the way it's to be anymore. That's not actually the true me. That one that comes knocking, that's like, out, you're an imposter. This is not the John that the Lord has planned for, so get out. Sometimes I'm more successful at that than others. The true me has been crucified. He's been seated with Christ. Sorry, raised and seated with Christ. Whatever I was before, I am now in Christ. That, and that's the me I'm called to live out. 
And so it finishes with this amazing verse. He says, here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. What's he talking about here? Greeks and Jews, basically, that covered pretty much everyone in, in terms of racial class. No circumcised or uncircumcised. It's basically the same kind of thing. The Jews are the circumcised, the uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, just talking about different kinds of, uh, um, again, racial identities. Slave or free, those were different social statuses. And, you know, he could have gone on. Uh, there is, there's no rich or poor. There's no male or female. It says that elsewhere. There's no gay or straight, we could say today. There's no misfit. There's no goody two-shoes. What he says, all of that is, is set aside. Not that it doesn't exist. Not that women aren't women and men aren't men and so on and so forth. But Christ is all and is in all. Our fundamental identity is not found in any of those things. It's in Christ. We have a new identity. And so it's that new identity in Christ that shapes the whole of our living. So we have a new identity and we are to live that new way. Now, I don't want to say a great deal more today, but I just want to share with you a couple of ways in which um, Paul helps us think about this. Because it's quite challenging. I certainly, I think it is. And I think anyone who's thought about this for a moment, it, will find that challenging. How, how do we, in, in the moment, in, the, in those challenging moments, we've got to decide we're going to do this or that. How are we supposed to think that's going to help us make the right decision? Well, one thing is that we're going to live with new goals. We're going to live with new goals. I think that's what he means. When he says, you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the hand of the God. Set, set your mind, minds on things above, not on earthly things. So he's saying, look, get your thinking into what things are going to look like in eternity. You know, the things that you're going to value from the perspective of eternity, start thinking that way. New goals. I shared the other day on a, on a midweek memo, I'm sorry if you heard the story, uh, an occasion from my time as a school teacher, I was, um, everyone in the school that I was in had to teach some, do some sports coaching. And um, uh, rugby, rugby was the, the sport for the, for the first term of the year. And I'm terrible at rugby. And so I was given the lowest year, seventh team, bottom team. It's like the smallest kids and their worst. And uh, it, this was fascinating. And basically, it was very difficult to do anything. I mean, once we, we decided to sort of throw our rugby boots as a kind of a activity just to try and get a little bit of engagement, and you just, it was quite tricky. Often, what I um, resorted to doing was just playing a practice game because games were kind of the only thing that really got people motivated. And so uh, I said, right, we're going to play a game. And um, there was this one kid who was actually quite good. His name was Freddie. And um, Freddie was way faster than everyone else. And if you know the sport of rugby, basically once someone gets away with the ball and they're faster than everyone else, everyone's just like, oh, fine, just let him run. Like he'll run all the way down there if he can be bothered. And then he's got to bring the ball back. So we were often doing that. Freddie would get the ball. He'd go and score a try. Everyone would wait there until Freddie was ready. And he'd come back. I remember this one moment. Freddie was off to go and score a try. And I turned around. There's this other kid called Teddy. He was on the floor sitting in the, in the middle of the, of the rugby pitch. 
And he was making a daisy chain in the middle of a game, in the middle of the pitch. I said, Teddy, what are you doing? And he, and he just looked up at me, and, 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 I, and I grasped. The thing is, Teddy does not see himself as a rugby player. Teddy is out for a lovely afternoon on the grounds. So trying to put numbers on the scoreline, that's just not a goal that he has, right? When we get, he's not thinking, what's it going to say on the board when this game finishes? Just when this game finishes isn't even a reality for him. Right now, he's got a moment just to do something with those daisies, and he's loving it. Now, that's what it is like for us as Christians. We forget what the end goal is. We can't get our minds into that earthly thing, so, so, that heavenly thing. And so instead, we sit there making daisy chains, just doing stuff that has no real relevance for what we're actually supposed to be doing. We need to live with new goals. And verse 4 expresses that so powerfully. Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, that means when he comes back, then you will also appear with him in glory. You know, if you're thinking about when he comes back, what's going to matter? It gives you new goals. So we've got to live with new goals. Secondly, we've got to live with new belonging. Live with new belonging. You know, where we think that we belong, where we're from, affects how we live. Um, I, I did some traveling after when I was about 18, and um, I was in uh, South America, and I bought a little uh, British flag, and... Um, I'd go along to sort of meet with friends. And I don't know, this is a bit of a sad thing to admit to, but I'd always bring the British flag and I'd sort of put it on the table if we were having a coffee just to sort of make clear, you know, where I'm from and what I'm standing up for and all the rest of it. And of course, people expected me then to kind of do the British thing. I don't know, you know, ask for tea or whatever they imagined. Where we think we're from affects how we live. Now, if you are seated in the heavenlies, if that's your home, if that's where you belong, if you know that that's your place, even more than here, you're going to live like someone from there. And you're going to ask yourself the question, what does it look like to live on this earth as a citizen of heaven? You've got to live with a new belonging. Okay, so let's live with new goals, live with a new belonging. Live, thirdly, with a new calling. I've got one more after this. Live with a new calling. So, Paul explains that God has chosen us. He's called us. He said, I've got a new purpose for you. I wonder whether you've ever been in that situation at work or, I don't know, at school where someone says, I want you for my team, you know. I've got, got a project that I'm on and you're, you're going to be on this one. In those difficult situations in life where like, oh, I don't really know what to do, we, we, we can think, I've got a new calling. I, the Lord has called me to, to go his way, to be according to his purposes. What does it mean to follow that calling? That's my big calling right now. Not necessarily the calling to be loyal to my friends or even to my boss or, or to just kind of make sure everything's okay in this situation or to keep the peace or whatever. I'm, my, I've got a new calling to God. And then finally, living with new goals, New belonging, new calling, and finally living with a new power. When, we, when we're faced with temptation and, and the struggle with sin, and we, we kind of know 
you know, sometimes it's difficult to work out what the right thing to do is, but often, basically, it's really clear. We just don't much feel like doing the, the good thing. Sometimes what happens is that the, the devil kind of comes up to us and goes, or well, at least this is my experience, look, John, this is, this is inevitable. You're going to do the wrong thing, right? So you might as well just get on with it and do it, right? Because there's, there's, no, there's no point having a, a fight here because you're going to fall anyway. So just give, give up early and just do it. And it's really easy at that moment to say, yeah, you're absolutely right, Satan. I haven't got a chance, have I? So why do I bother, bother fighting? I'll just give in. But actually, if we're in Christ, we have a new power in our lives. It's not inevitable that that thing that we really struggle with, we're going to fall. Now, of course, we're going to be battling all the way from here until, until, until we die. But it's not inevitable that we're going to fall. And actually, sometimes just knowing that there is a power at work in our lives that can help us is all we need, is all the encouragement we need to win in the battle that we have. So we live with a new power because we're united to Christ. We're living with new goals, new belonging, new calling, and a new power. All right. That'll do uh, for this evening. I want us to say a couple more things um, about this uh, time that we spent thinking about identity. There's a collection of resources uh, which um, Natasha has put together, um, and uh, you can find them on our website um, under the um, Sundays and Service Resources tab. They will really help you think through some of these questions of identity further. I've spoken to a few people. I think some of this stuff is like never really thought this way before. And you might have lots of questions. That's a great place to go. Equally, if as you mull this stuff over, you've still got questions that you'd like to ask, I'd love to speak to you, come and speak to someone on the team. Come and get prayed for this evening if there's stuff that you're struggling with. I really encourage you um, to do that. But as we uh, wrap up now, let's just take a, a little bit of time to be quiet. Perhaps you want to keep the scriptures open there in Colossians 3 and just look at them. Perhaps you want to mull through some of the things that we've been talking about. And then I'm going to lead us in prayer. And while we do that, perhaps the band will come up um, and join me. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.